Welcome to the Oasis podcast, designed to provide some spiritual refreshment in dry times. I'm Meredith Riedel, and I'm interested in getting more deeply connected to God. Until recently, I taught Middle Eastern church history at Duke University. After 20 years in academia, I am now a candidate for ordination in ECO, a Presbyterian denomination. The first 10 episodes of this podcast are about spiritual stability in uncertain times, finding our anchor to hold us steady when we're hit by life's hurricanes. What is spiritual stability? How is it defined? What are the elements of this practice of Christian contentment that the Apostle Paul says he learned? The definition comes from a concept that was to some degree explained by Paul in Philippians chapter 4. But the seven elements of this definition that I'm taking here are from our 17th century pastor Jeremiah Burroughs, who describes the secret. Spiritual stability that comes from contentment is sweet, inward, quiet, can only be done by grace, freely chosen, submitted to God, taking pleasure in God's will and wisdom in every situation. It is a radical change in perspective, and I haven't achieved it. I want to, though, because I think it's a powerful thing to be stable when the storms of life break over us. Spiritual stability is not a form of stoicism that teaches us to control our human desires, but it's also not contentment as it is popularly understood. That is, it's not a kind of complacency that simply settles for mediocrity or gives up on having something good. To be content does not mean to be satisfied with whatever works because we are too fearful or too tired to try for something better. True biblical contentment, the secret that the Apostle Paul learned, is much more powerful and life-changing than that. So let's go through this seven-part definition of spiritual stability that comes from contentment. It is number one, sweet on the inside. Number two, quiet. Number three, can only be done by grace. Number four, is freely chosen. Number five, is submitted to God. Number six, takes pleasure in God's will and wisdom. And number seven, in every situation. Now, this isn't a list of what to do or things to bludgeon yourself with. It's just a description of the target. The principles and the strategies for getting hold of this will come in the following episodes. So let's start. Number one. The first thing is that contentment is sweet on the inside. It's not just about being sweet on the outside. It goes all the way through to your heart so that not only your speech is peaceful, but your heart on the inside also is calm. We all know ourselves, right, in difficult moments when we are irritated and we're able to put on our poker faces to hide the irritation in our hearts. It is possible to remain calm on the surface, but it's also quite possible to look steady on the outside, while on the inside, your heart can be raging. But when we do this, it isn't the same thing as being content or spiritually stable, is it? Despite our outward silence, God can hear the peevish and fretful language of our souls. 
we can be vexed and not have it show on our faces. But when that happens, we're more like David's false friend that he describes in Psalm 55, 21. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. Have you ever known someone like that? Where they're saying all kinds of nice things to your face, but you just aren't feeling it because you know it's not the same thing on the inside. Or maybe even worse, have you been that kind of person? Honestly, if spiritual stability coming from contentment were as easy as just keeping quiet on the outside, we wouldn't have to learn it. It doesn't take that much effort. But that's not what we're getting at here. What we're after is something that goes all the way down to our hearts and souls so that our inside and our outside are matching. The second, it is quiet. This quietness of the stable, contented heart does not come from ignorance. It is not that we are quiet on the inside because we don't really realize how bad our situation is. It's okay to feel all the feelings. And yet being quiet, not just on the outside, but also on the inside. It is not because we are unwilling to face reality either. We don't pretend, oh, it's not that bad. (laughs) Jesus Christ never tells his followers not to count as a cross. What is a cross? In Luke 9.23, he says, take up your cross daily. And the assumption behind that is that we all have a cross to take up daily. So we're not deceived. We are not immune or unaware or in denial. But it doesn't mean that we can't tell God how we feel. I think God is honored when a Christian is genuine about her grief or sadness and trials, but can still keep her heart quiet because she knows the God she's trusted. I've recently been reading Psalm 119. It's one of my favorite Psalms. And verse 68 uh, has this really great way of putting it. Speaking to God, it says, You are good, and what you do is good. I really like that because it's an affirmation of God's goodness. Now, I want to be careful to say that this is not a call to accept abusive situations. The contented Christian is nowhere in the Bible prohibited from seeking help or asking for deliverance or trying to get out of an affliction by any lawful means. It's not a virtue to suffer in silence. We can pray in faith, trusting God's mercy, and at the same time, actively work to change our circumstances. But there are things that we can do to undermine the quietness of a contented heart, things that work against us, things we shouldn't be doing. So here's a few of those. Grumbling, like the Israelites in the desert. Fretting until we are so vexed that we can't even remember that God loves us giving free rein to a tumultuous spirit so we get confused and then we get mugged by our own thoughts, distracting ourselves from our obligations because we are tempted to take our hands off of the work God has given us to do, allowing the fear and noise of bad news to separate us from seeking God's face, giving in to despair when our faith is brittle so that we isolate ourselves and we stop talking to other Christians who can lend us their faith to help us get through the rough bits, shifting our attentions to sinful escapes for relief 
And you can fill in this blank, can't you? What do you do to numb yourself? Is it overwork? Is it sex? Is it exercise? Drugs? Pornography? Drinking? Too much Netflix? I'm not pointing fingers here, but I think this proves we're not relying on the Lord at these times. So let us not rebel against God in desperation so that we cast off restraint and we reject his love just because we can't feel it. God loves always because it is his nature to love. But these things are the things that undermine the quiet heart of a contented and spiritually stable Christian. These are the things a quiet heart does not do. We don't murmur or fret. We feel all the feelings, but we also cry out to God and we express our emotions, but we don't allow them to control us. We do not sink in discouragement or rise in rebellion or shift into sinful shortcuts. Third, spiritual stability can only be achieved by God's grace. It acknowledges that we are under his power and that's awesome. This grip on God's grace is the kind of thing that we want to spread throughout our entire soul so that we can say, what's happening to me right now is best for me because it's from the hand of God and I might not understand it, but I accept it. The goal is to have the thoughts quiet and the will yielded to God and the emotions not running amok. When the thoughts and the will and the emotions are all at peace, contentment occupies the whole soul and it takes the pressure off of performance. Now Psalm 42, I think can show that it's possible to be contented in our thoughts and our will and sometimes not in our emotions. It's a well-known psalm. The first few verses go like this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where's your God? Well, it goes on, of course, and it gets better. But praying this psalm will help us to understand, I think, the idea of grace, that sometimes we can be determined to be submitted to God, but still have unruly thoughts and overwhelming emotions. And that's okay. God prefers us to be honest with him. And when we feel like this, I think it's an acknowledgement that we do thirst for God and we will be satisfied when we get closer to God. And sometimes just remembering that God is there and he's looking at us with the eyes of love can help us to quiet our hearts. We do have real hope in God and this is what helps to keep us steady even if everything looks awful. You know, there's a line from The Hunger Games. I was just watching this movie the other night on Netflix and that tells you something about my Netflix habits, where President Snow in this film says, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. And I know that President Snow is the bad guy, but it doesn't change the fact that that is a true statement. So even when we're depressed or fearful, we don't want those emotions to mess up our thinking. Grace helps us to keep our spiritual balance because reality is not determined by our feelings, but by a loving God who is worthy of our trust. And the grace that he gives us is like our body heat. It comes from who we are. 
Fourth, spiritual stability is something that is freely chosen. Now, when you do something freely, you don't need to be pressured to do it. You do it because you want to. And to be truly stable in your spirit, you choose without a lot of fuss to believe and to trust in God. You don't have to be forced. There's something unworthy and kind of fatalistic about saying, this is God's will and there's nothing you can do about it. None of us who belong to Christ should say we have to accept God's will as though God is forcing us. He doesn't do that, ever. If we are free, then we're willing to yield to God. He doesn't have to fight us and we don't have to fight ourselves. We freely submit to him because he freely went to the cross for us. And it's not something that we do out of ignorance either. When we do something freely from our own will, it's not because we don't know any better or because we are unaware of our options. To do something freely is to do it by informed choice. Christians do not choose to be content because we don't know what else to be. Everyone knows when their circumstances are crappy. We are aware when things are hard, and we also know that we would prefer them to be better. But when we choose to be content, what we're saying is that even in this unwished-for condition, we still will choose to be quiet and to trust in God. And no one can do that unless they know God, and they know how strong and how good he is. Fifth. Spiritual stability that comes from contentment reveals a heart submitted to God. And now we come to the most maligned word, probably, in the entire Christian Bible, the word to submit. The word to submit literally means to place yourself under something. It means that in order to be content, we submit ourselves to the circumstances that God has allowed to come upon us. And it means we are choosing to trust God that our situation is not random or meaningless or outside of his divine grace or power. It's a decision that reveals that we have decided to submit ourselves to God. Number six, taking pleasure in God's will and wisdom. Now, I know this is going to sound ridiculously hard, especially when things aren't going well. When we find ourselves in a difficult situation where it's hard to submit to God's will and wisdom, the grace of contentment will allow us to take pleasure in what has been permitted by God. Even though we're in pain and we pray to be released from the pain, we will be able nonetheless to find pleasure in the knowledge that God intends all things for our good. God can bring good out of something we naturally might reject. As the Puritans used to say, there is honey in the rock. I think that's just a, another way of thinking about Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good. We don't know how it will all turn out, but we know it will be good because God is good and we choose to trust in a good God. It's walking by faith and not by sight. Now, the backdrop of this whole discussion is the belief that the highest good possible is to be ever more closely connected to God. And unfortunately, suffering is one of the ways that God gives us to help make that happen. Now, this next part is even harder, and I think you probably aren't going to like it. But since all of this stuff is in the Bible, if you don't like it, then I suggest you take it up with God because it's not me saying it. It's God. So are you ready? It isn't enough 
to say after the fact that it was good that I was afflicted. You know those testimonies where people come up and they say, yeah, you know, everything used to be really hard, but now it's totally great. And I made all those mistakes, but now I never do and stuff like that. And I'm willing to believe that they're telling the truth. I'm sure things are good. But those kind of testimonies don't always help me because I'm in a situation that's bad and I want to know how to handle things in the situation now. I'm not interested in celebrating after the fact necessarily. I want to know what do I do right now? I'm really helped better by testimonies of people who say, listen, I'm in a situation that is terrible and it's really hard, but I'm trusting God anyway and my faith is not lost because I know whom I've believed and God is good. And those sorts of testimonies I find to be more inspiring, more helpful, because then I can ask that person, how do you do that? What's your secret? I want to be able to do that in the middle of it. I don't want to be miserable, miserable, and then only happy at the end. I want to be able to be stable and contented even in the middle of the hard stuff. When we learn the anchoring power of spiritual stability, we will be able to say, in the middle of the hard thing, it's good that I am afflicted. Now, I know that sounds nuts, and in a godless world, it would definitely be irrational. But Christians don't live in a godless world. We live in a world where God's essential characteristic is to show mercy. So we can say more than just God is good. We can say God is good all the time, even when I'm in pain and nothing makes sense. I know it sounds crazy. Paul says in Philippians 4.11 that he learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, how could Paul say that? Because he had nothing. He's writing this verse from prison. And yet he says in Philippians 4.18, just a little bit further along, I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. So was he delusional? He says something similar in 2 Corinthians 6.10, where he describes himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, and having nothing, yet possessing everything. And the thing that we should notice here is that it isn't about possessing everything. It's about having nothing, and yet possessing everything. So in other words, a lack of material possessions, or the difficulty of hard circumstances, didn't have any power to make him miserable because he possessed everything in Christ. This is hard to understand, but I think it's what the Bible is teaching. So I want to ponder it and study it and pursue understanding of it. I think it's the only way we can grab hold of spiritual stability through Christian contentment, because the only way to get that stability is not to be dependent on anything except God who never changes. And here's the really amazing thing. A heart that is so completely and so utterly confident of God is able to submit to God's authority in any situation. This kind of Christian doesn't look at the circumstances or the possessions or the lack of them or earthly blessings or the lack of them, but looks at God. And that brings us to the last one, number seven, in every condition. So spiritual stability isn't about being calm and quiet only when you're in a good mood or when things are going well, right? This last part of the definition 
in all circumstances has to be part of it or it can't be called stability. To be stable means that you don't wobble, even sometimes, but you're steady and you don't get wiped out. It means that it doesn't matter what happens, when it happens, how long it lasts, how many times it happens, or how bad it is. Because if we've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, then we'll be able to submit to God's will with joy and with trust and with quietness of soul all the time, every time, no matter what. And we won't fear or drown or be overwhelmed or faint. Now, I guess that probably sounds a little bit like stoicism, doesn't it? But it may look like it on the outside, but in the inside, it's not really stoicism. It's not a lack of feeling. It's feeling all the feelings and yet not losing hold of God, who is the anchor. So you know how they say that courage isn't when you're not afraid, but you move forward anyway, even though you are afraid? Well, I think that stability and contentment are something like that. They're when you choose to trust God, even when things are going horribly. And this is, of course, entirely supernatural. It can't be learned in 10 easy lessons. And most of all, none of it is anything that Jesus Christ did not also himself learn. He sweated blood and he felt fear in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he was able to willingly embrace the will of God for his own suffering. So how do we learn to walk through our own sufferings in this life without losing hope and faith in the God who is love, who shows mercy, who holds power over the heavens and the earth? I think it's only with the power and the grace that God gives us. Now the problem, well, one of the problems is that the problems and the trials and the afflictions rarely come one at a time in a nice orderly progression. Cards on the table as a Presbyterian, I like things to be done decently and in good order, but that's not how life works. Sometimes you get COVID and it turns into long COVID and you're still fighting to regain your health months later. Sometimes you lose your job and you wonder how you're going to pay for your bills. Sometimes you graduate from a really great graduate program, but you don't have a job and then you start wondering how are you going to pay your student loans. Or sometimes your closest human relationship is broken or maybe it broke you. And that's when you really need to know how do you go through these multiple sufferings of life and stay on even keel? How do you get an unbreakable grip on God as an anchor? Especially when you're walking through the darkest of places with no way of knowing how or even whether it might end. Well, the Apostle Paul learned this secret, this way of holding steady. And there's a crazy list in 2 Corinthians 11 of all the stuff that he went through. He was shipwrecked three times. He received the 40 lashes five times. He was beaten with rods three times. Once he was stoned to death, or they thought or they were trying to stone him to death. He was cast adrift in the ocean for two days. He lived in constant danger. He suffered insomnia and hunger and thirst and cold and nakedness and prison. And this is the guy who says, yeah, I'm fine. I've got everything I need. I'm amply supplied. I'm totally content. Now, as we study this whole secret of spiritual stability, of Christian contentment, I think we have to remember it's really powerful and it's long-term work. To get connected to God in this way 
is sort of like grabbing hold of a live wire. It will inject into your life the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's the grace of resurrection that gives us that honey from the rock. Paul's secret brings spiritual stability. It anchors us to the ultimate power of the universe. And this is the goal. This is what it looks like. To be sweet on the inside, to have a quiet heart and a gracious attitude that freely submits to and takes pleasure in God's wisdom and will in every situation. It sounds nuts, but I think it also sounds incredibly useful. And I have not gotten it down, but I want to, and I hope you do too. In episode three, I'll be talking about seven principles that teach us how to get it. And in episode four, about why it's worth it to learn this rare skill of spiritual stability. I hope you'll join me.